Welcome to Club and Country here on the 440 Sports Network. I am not Wes Bowling. My name is Braden Gall. Good to see you guys. Good to have you here. How's everybody doing? You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. I am Tim Sullivan. I am the voice that you're used to hearing in this space. I am the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com, where I have been covering the boys in gold on the internet longer than anyone else. Uh, my name is Steve Cavendish. I'm the editor of the Nashville Banner, and I have been I have been a watching soccer longer than Tim has been in short pants. So. <laughs> <laughs> that that I can vouch for. That is true. We're gonna have a large, big picture conversation today about sort of the state of the franchise, state of the union, heading into year four in the MLS. It sort of feels like finally. It feels like a regular season that we're starting as like a regular franchise for the first time with all the different things that have happened to sports and to the MLS and to Nashville SC over the course of the last uh, three seasons. Every single one of them very different and unique. And even this one changing conferences again, um, as you guys all know, if you did not get to the player by player breakdown on last week's episode, which of course you probably did, make sure you check that out. We are not going to touch on sort of the individual players as much as sort of the state of the roster big picture relative to how it's been at this stage of the calendar year in each of the last three seasons. We'll do that exact exact same thing with the front office, with the coaching staff, with Mike Jacobs, with the fan base and with the MLS writ large. Where is everything now kind of taking stock as we enter the fourth season as Wes is off? In the great, great North White, uh, the white, great white North. What's what do we call it? What do we call Canada? Yeah, great North White. No, great North White. <laughs> good, good job, Braden. Sorry, 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 Wes. Job there. Sorry, Wes. Although Tim, uh, although Tim did say, um, and this is a shout out for all you. This this goes right into our uh, club of country, brought to you by ML Rose, uh, of course, the neighborhood burger joint. Uh, you can get two locations all over the place in Nashville. He's having a happy hour thingy. According yeah, to Wes's, Tim, Wes's according little to happy Tim. hour is what I've called it. Wes's, Wes's little happier. Wes's little happy hour thingy, which is the most <laughs> condescending way to refer to Wes trying to have a meet and greet with some audience members. Uh, I believe it's next week at ML Rose mm-hmm. on the west side of town. So make sure you check that out. Best burgers. They got a Porter Road Butcher smash burger right now, which is spectacular. They're always coming up with really good stuff. I don't know about you guys. I take the kids on the weekends. For the two for ones. I don't know if that's responsible or not, but the two for one mimosas and bloody Marys and beers on, on the brunch menu, that's a pretty strong role on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, after taking them to climb or whatever. Uh go go swing by MO Rose. Get yourself a two for one mimosa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well what Wes's little happy hour, unfortunately, not brunch time. Uh for people who no. want the details. It is going to be uh January 30th. So that's uh, a week from uh, approximately when you're listening to this at some point. Uh, Wes is going to uh, he's not going to pick up the first round, I don't think, unless unless he's feeling very generous uh, at the West Nashville location. That's on Charlotte Avenue, uh, either in or adjacent to the best and most important neighborhood in Nashville. It's it's up for debate whether that's technically Sylvan Park because it's across the highway or if it's technically the nation's because it's because it's on this side of Charlotte. It's it's no man's land. Yeah, I was going to say it is the, it a is little the, strip there. Yeah, that little strip there. Um, wait, can, can you, I let me let me say something real fast about the happy hour? If you follow 440 Sports at this event and take a photo and tweet it out and make sure you tag ML Rose, I will buy you a beer. How about that? If you're an wow. audience, if, oh, you're look a at listener, that. if you're a listener, you 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 do what we tell you to do here, which we love, which is go to the event. <laughs> 
follow 440 Sports and tweet out a photo and tag Mo Rosen 440. We will buy you a round. We'll buy you. I beer. was just going to suggest that you get West drunk at the event and then and then try to take advantage of you know free beers from him. But I mean, that's an easier way to do it. <laughs> that's a much easier way to do it. Well, hey, hey, why, why not both, Steve? Why not both? Well, um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, because I, I think you'd have to get Lisa drunk, and I don't think that that's not going to happen. So, like, <laughs> she, she's the one that controls those decisions. So, uh, all right, we've got a lot of stuff to get to, and I want to start with just a broad, general s- sort of state of the the entire situation here, which is ha- have and I don't know. Maybe this is insulting to diehard soccer fans. Maybe it's not. I don't know, but I am curious what you guys think about where we are as a franchise and a city and a community, because. All the different things that have happened to this franchise entering the season each of the last three years is well documented. Again, moving back to the Eastern Conference, which I think is great. But I want to know, are we just still satisfied, excited, happy with three straight playoff appearances, a very competitive roster, a very high quality club in just three seasons spun out of thin air, which is still an extraordinary accomplishment? Or have we already progressed and evolved to a place where expectations, pressure, and all of those things that come along with professional sports are now a big part of our interaction with the club. Yeah, I think something that you mentioned actually in the intro to the pod really kind of rings true. And that's there's been a different hook each of the first three years. The first year, obviously, hey, here's a new team. The second year uh, was, was hey, here's a basically normal year that's slightly less impacted by COVID than the, the inaugural year was. Also added a designated player midseason for the first time. This past season, it was obviously the opening of, of the beautiful Geodis Park and everything that comes along with that. I got a little bonus by, by having a league MVP in Hani Mukhtar. This is going to be the first season where the hook has to be winning. Um, fortunately, the team has done a reasonable job of that in the first three years. But from this point forward, being good enough is not really good enough because you don't have an off-field hook for new fans. You don't have an off-field uh, kind of explanation to current fans that, oh, you know, we're kind of building for something in the future. From this point going forward, until this franchise, you know, has some sort of change, you know, if, and, and until they open another new stadium in 30 years <laughs> or whatever it is, the hook is going to be the product on the field. And that's something that now we get to see what the kind of product is going to be when it's the only thing that the franchise has to to kind of focus on. Yeah, I, I think the fan base is, is, is this really interesting mix right now because, I mean, obviously there was there was this core of soccer supporters here in town that you were able to look at and say, okay, that's, that's something we can build from last year was very much a sampling year. They, they got a lot of new people into that building uh, and they got, and I think it's safe to say they got some of them hooked. I, you know, the, the, the reviews I got from people who were either not soccer fans or had not been to a Nashville SC game before were very good. They had a great experience in the stadium uh, you know, it was it was a good team. So they had they had something to watch. Although <laughs> if you went to one of those like midsummer games where you were like in the heat and they were, you know, they were they had that losing stretch. There was there was some there was some grumbling. But just but, just take your six year old home in the 87th minute and you're fine. You, yeah, you did, exactly. <laughs> they never, never lost a game. Never saw never my daughter. My daughter never saw the team lose. It was great. But but the, but there is I don't think you can say that that there is a there is a base that is demanding expect you know demanding winning now. Um, there are definitely mature bases around the league where those fan bases are are definite are definitely putting lots of pressure on their front office. We're not there yet, and and may not be for a few years. And the fact that they've had relative success means people people are used to 
people are used to winning. Uh, and, and so I, I think it would take like a downturn in order to mm-hmm. kind of, to kind of kick in sort of the negative part of that, which is fans not showing up or fans being very angry at a front office or fans angry with coaching staff or whatever else. We can grumble about, you know, Gary ball or, you know, wanting a, you know, wanting a, a premier striker up top. I mean, every team in the league wants a premier striker up top, but I don't, I don't think we're there yet. Uh, we're, we're still very much in the, we're still very much in the honeymoon phase and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. You know, we're, I, I think Nashville is, is ahead of, uh, of, of where anybody thought it would be. You know, this was a, mm-hmm. this was a stadium that was not designed to be this big. This is a stadium that they bumped out because they thought, wait, we can do this. We can, we can put 30,000 people in a stadium. And, and at times last year they did, they sold the, you know, they sold the damn thing out and they had a, they had a, they had a high average attendance all last year. Uh, it'll be, it'll be a really interesting to see kind of like what the sales pitch is on this team um, mm-hmm. this year, because, because t- I think Tim's right. I mean, this is the first year it's just about the product on the field and that's, what's going to drive attendance and expectations so so this is purely anecdotal but as a season ticket holder i know you guys were in were in the press the press box for most of the time but as a season ticket holder every single other season ticket holder that i know has renewed their season like i don't know anyone that's not coming back to, to your point steve like i don't i don't know a single family now again most of my fa- most of the people i know are all in the family section <laughs> with, with <laughs> us and with the kids but what's interesting is how the conversations changed over the year like over the course of the year, at the start of the year, it's this celebratory, big, brand new thing that we're celebrating, and then by the end of the year, it's well, like, well, why can't we generate more offense for Hani? Like, like there's yeah. the conversation evolved because I think people are growing into that type of fandom, which I think is great. It it doesn't, you know, I, I think the honeymoon phase. I don't know, man. I'm I'm I am the MLS fan who is fairly new, four or five years in, but also now expecting more than fifth place in the Eastern conference. Like I, I, I have expectations now for this team, which leads us to Gary Smith. And, Wait, is that, is ahead. that because you're an experienced sports fan though? I mean, you, you mean like my history as just like a 40 year old man who's watched sports for 40 years? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean like you, you, you take that in at a higher rate, I think than the average person mm-hmm. does. Maybe that's true. I, and I and if you look at the Preds, of course, which we know like is a sort of a, a unique case study. I think there's a way better, stronger base of soccer in Nashville and Middle Tennessee and in the in this region than there was for hockey when it came. But it took almost 20 years, <laughs> yeah. like like for it to click and for it to land and for them to be like, no, you need to fire a coach. <laughs> like it took it took a long, long, long time. I think soccer will get there much quicker probably because it's a it, it's got a better foundation of support but I, hmm. I don't know it's just that I've enjoyed the product so much uh, some of it's maybe being a father actually having a young daughter who played so- is playing soccer and loves soccer maybe I'm more tied into this sport in particular but they gave me so much in year even in the covid shortened weird ass tournament year <laughs> they they still gave me a playoff win and that 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 taste of of like what hmm. it what it feels like to make a run and They've been so competitive, and then you get a, an MVP candidate. Then you open the building. Like the, I think Tim's exactly right. The only thing that is next is actually making a playoff run. And I don't know if we need to put all of that on Gary Smith, if we need to put all of that on Mike Jacobs. I, I don't know where we need to focus. And this is a question for you, Tim: Is if that were to happen, where are we? Where should we be focusing our attention? Yeah, I think. 
It's it's an interesting question because I think the coaching has been um, fine in terms of achieving results. It has, to some, been not the most entertaining form of soccer. I think the the team structure and management has been designed with those hooks of the first three years in mind. I don't think necessarily that this team has been specifically built to make a run to MLS Cup, to make a run to the final, to make even make a run to, to the U.S. Open Cup final. In the past, it has been we need to be good enough to make the playoffs. That is what our goal is, is to get into the postseason. And the other stuff will kind of be the the additional PR stuff that keeps the building full. That's what we're really going for now. And, you know, as we've mentioned already a bunch of times in just the first few minutes of this podcast, now it is about getting those results that that get you to the next level. So does that change the way the the team is is structured or or put together from a roster standpoint i think we're already seeing some changes we're also seeing some of the of the same sort of money ball ideas that have been about um getting the same performance with less dollar more than getting more performance with the same dollar than than you would maybe expect when you're trying to take that next step but i think it really does depend on this being the year that you kind of see what is going to be the the philosophy both on field and in building the team when you need to use that as your hook to the team. So that that leads us right into sort of style of play. And I it's funny, I you guys correct me if I'm wrong here because you know far more about this stuff than I do, but it felt it feels a lot like the Netherlands team and the coaches' conversation to his fans. Like, well, we've won 19 straight. Do you want to keep winning or do you want it to be pretty? And I think that's like, obviously it didn't work in the world cup, but they were pretty darn good. Is that a fair, is that, is that where fans are with, with, with Gary Smith and the style? Like it has done so much for us. We have won a lot of games. We have been successful. We have had results. We've gotten into the playoffs, but <laughs> like what, what do fans want in your opinion, Tim? Are they, are they satisfied with a 15 or 16 win season this year? If it's still the same style or do they need it to be, more explosive and more exciting around again, mostly around Hani. Yeah, I think some of it uh, among the fan base, especially, is kind of a. Um, I don't want to say naivete because this is this is a fan base that is that is really coming around to what MLS is like. But only one other team has been as successful in its first three years after expansion as Nashville SC has been, and that's the Seattle Sounders. So the results have been have been good, but I don't think fans kind of quite understand the context in which they're good. This is like a historically good expansion team. So I think realistically, they, they kind of don't like either. They don't think the team is winning enough, nor do they think that it is is quite aesthetically pleasing enough now, to, now to be everything that they want. That's the most Nashville thing I've ever heard. Yeah. So, so, so I mean, I, I, I think that fans would 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 ask for a style change both for both reasons, because they want to win more and because, um, you know, it, it looks better on, the, on TV or on the field. But the reality is that the team has won a lot of games it doesn't really matter to the fan base. They want, they want yeah. more. So either way, I think fans would, would prefer for some sort of at least adjustments, you know, whatever, whatever they would care for. It would be probably something that's a little bit uh, more exciting attacking soccer. I don't, I don't think, you know, I think a great nuance of a fan base would be if you were playing some like spectacularly beautiful style of play and not getting results and people were okay with that. Um, mm-hmm. Because because it would be about the performance as opposed to as opposed to the result. Quite frankly, if 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 this team wins a lot of close games and a lot of low scoring games, but they but they're winning, 
people aren't going to care. I, I think about that, and I think that's, there's a threshold that that it needs to hit still. Yeah, and, and last yeah. year was not that. I think is the way that. Yeah, and 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 some of that and some of that has to do with some misses on the roster. I mean, you know, they were they were definitely trying they were definitely trying to slot Loba in as as the person who was going to maybe either unseat Sapong or provide like a lot of firepower in there. And it just didn't happen. And if, you know, if that, and that may be a problem here that they try to address this summer, which is if CJ Sapong is, is the, can't be unseated as your forward because he's doing all of this work, but he's not necessarily scoring. Then I, I think that's the kind of thing that sort of residually, becomes apparent to the fan base because mm-hmm. it, because it, it's the most apparent position. I mean, it, it is, it, and, and it's the easiest position for people to critique. It's a, it's a, it's a striker. Are you scoring? Or are you not scoring? Yeah. And no matter how much people like Sapong and I'm, and I count myself as one of them, I love the things that he does on the field, but it, you know, at some point you get paid to score goals. I, that That's a lot different than, you know, the, than your midfielders or your wingers or your, you know, especially like your backline guys, where you're measuring them on 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 different things that are not necessarily as obvious to the, the to the newer fan, uh, and, and that's gonna that's gonna be one of the things I think that that kind of hamstrings or propels the franchise this year is if they start scoring, um, I, I think that solves any mm-hmm. lingering sort of sort of questions that 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 the average fan has about about the franchise. I don't know necessarily where the goals are coming from looking at the roster yeah, yeah. right now. Well, and that's, I want to ask that question and we'll ask about Jacobs and Lobo and all that stuff sort of in just a second. But I, I also think that the, I, I you tell me if you, you think I'm wrong here. I think the, I think soccer fans are better, have a better understanding of sort of underlying metrics to some degree because the mm-hmm. game itself is, is sort of like watching a player perform is sort of built almost on underlying metrics. Whereas with a hockey player, you could see, like, I think hockey fans are just like, no, did you score the goals or not? I don't care if you've created chances or if you've, like, it, there because there's so many more opportunities. There's so many more, so much more scoring for a player who's got thirty or forty goals in a in a hockey season, versus dipping down and not scoring. I think I think soccer fans, frankly, understand the things that go into play that don't necessarily produce yeah. stats. I think they understand yeah. it a lot better than like in any other in football. It's about number of touchdowns and in, in, in hockey. Mm-hmm. It's about goals. It's like, it's to me, there's, I think soccer fans understand that stuff that CJ Sapong has a much bigger impact, even when he's not scoring 14 goals in a season or whatever. Yeah. I think some of that, I, I don't want to say it's, it's unique to American soccer fans, but I think American soccer fans get that more than uh, say like somebody who only watches Premier League because you have kind of the bleed over from American sports that are so stat centric in soccer. Frankly, for the reasons that you mentioned, just so few goals are scored in the game right. is is something that the the you know top line stats are not going to tell you the whole story. And therefore, because Americans kind of have that stat centric sort of uh, mindset that they look to more underlying metrics, and that helps American fans understand it more. And I think Nashville is actually a place, um, you know, I where I don't want to take credit for it, but I, I'm very stat centric. And I think the Nashville fan base is, is very welcoming and accepting of that. And that's helped kind of understand some of the things that Nashville has been good at, even when the goals haven't been coming. And I think, um, you know, at a certain point, fans are going to want the conversions to be there with CJ Sapong or whether it's, you know, Teal right. Bunbury, whoever it is. But I do think fans are, kind of have that understanding that 
you know, just because a guy isn't scoring goals, he is he is doing something still. Tim, let me ask you this. What does pressure look like for Gary this year? Because so to take take into account everything about the franchise, it, it's it's built for stability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have you have a, a group of people who are, are very much in line with with kind of how the the roster's been built and how uh, and, and how the franchise has been built. This is how much pressure is on Gary to perform this year? Because I, I think the front office knows that. You know, if you don't have results, you're not going to have butts in the seats, and that's important to that's important to them. But also, you know, Mike Jacobs, who has who has is responsible for building the roster and kind of getting Gary those players. Um, you know, if it's if it's not working, then and there has to be a change. Then you know, w- what does pressure look like for Gary? I don't I don't think I don't think he's on a hot seat this year. I don't mm-hmm. think that uh, I. I've, Unless that they had some historically bad run of results, I can't imagine anything would happen during the season. But but you're right. I mean, they've been in the playoffs three straight years. They want to look at what progress is. What does pressure feel like for Gary? I think it's a situation where you want to see a season more like um, the second season where Nashville finished uh, in a tie for second in the Eastern Conference, and which was uh, a stronger conference that year. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, too. But I think uh, fans are not going to be satisfied with with just where they end up in the table unless there's a trophy at the end. I think the pressure on Gary is to play more beautiful attacking soccer. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to come with a change of style. It can come. It can still come with transition and and Hani Mukhtar pulling the strings as as the club kind of um, you know kind of launches those long balls from good defensive sequences. But there's finally, I think the type of talent on the wings that is going to help this team play a little bit more open rather than Hani go up there. We'll see if Sapong can help you. We'll see if Leal can help you. <laughs> there's, there's a, a roster of, of, you know, Jacob Schaffelberg, Fafa Pico. There's, there are more guys who can play that sort of style and make it more beautiful, quite frankly, because they have the speed because they have the finishing and Gary needs to be able to take advantage of that. Cause this roster has been built kind of not necessarily in his vision per se, but it's, it's built in a way that is well suited to take, advantage of the way Gary Smith wants to play, but do it at a higher level. And I think, you know, results aside, because I I have a hard time seeing this team missing the playoffs. Obviously it's, it's major league soccer. So, so any season can, can go completely sideways for any given team, but it's going to be, can you do the same things that you've done in the past and and do them while scoring more goals and maybe conceding a few more too, but that's, that's more exciting soccer. That's a better TV product. I think that's what the coaching staff's mandate is going to be this year is, realize that entertainment product is is part of the product it's not just about going out and grinding out results well and, and i'm probably in the minority where i appreciate sort of the the, the very small margin in between right like mm-hmm. like pu- pushing it too far into into aesthetics to make it entertainment and then costing yourself opportunities at wins versus yeah. guaranteeing yourself some some victories and some results because you're playing a certain style like i sort of appreciate just inching your way in that direction now i will say purely anecdotal the people that have not yet bought in that are not buying season tickets that i that kind of watch that love the world cup that watch the game but aren't really all in yet on fc they're the ones that are going i it's it's a hard watch sometimes like that that's that those that's the one thing that people say and i people it is a hard watch to go from (laughs) france to mls that's not that's not what i mean that's not what i mean well i think i think sorry go ahead well i was just gonna say well okay I've got a question, but it 
pushes us off into sort of like it's similar to what you were just talking about. Basically, have they done the things they need to do on the roster and from a roster perspective, a personnel perspective to make a subtle tweak? And I would call it like an evolution of Gary's system, not a change, not taking a big swing at it, but just something Mm -hmm. subtle. And again, maybe that's because they've added a lot more speed and sort of versatility on the top of the formation. But I just have they done the things they need to do to make it a subtle tweak because when you when you play Gary style, your margins for in my opinion, your margins for error are very small. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to play a bunch of one nil games, you've got a very you cannot make a single mistake. They went from four losses to ten losses, I think, in part because of some of those mistakes, some of which were Walker Zimmerman's fault, frankly. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's the question: is has have they done enough personnel wise to sort of kind of ease the ship a little bit into that direction? First of all, I will say yes. I think they have done that. I think they now have the the breadth of personnel in the front four to send all four, even if it's just on a counterattack. You're going to have four guys instead of three. You had CJ Sapong, Randall Leal, and Hani Mukhtar most of last year. Sometimes you had Jacob Schaffelberg. Sometimes you know you had a rotating cast of Luke Hawkinson. You had a rotating cast of guys who could get involved in that. Now you have the 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 base of attacking talent to do that. But to go back to to the, the Gary style being a hard watch. I don't think a Nashville fan who is not a Nashville SC fan, somebody in Nashville who's watch, trying to get into soccer is going to say, oh, I would rather see Spain who who looks beautiful and doesn't score. <laughs> you know, th- th- you want to see you want to see a team that scores a lot. I don't I think love fans, passing. I love. passing. Yeah, I, Tim. I don't think fans are going to care that much about the specific style. They want to see more goals is what they want to see. If it comes on the counter, if it comes on, you know, LAFC style, beautiful links of attacking play. They, but they don't want to, you know, passing it around is is, is possibly worse than, than playing an up and down game that, that can look a little ugly to a more experienced soccer fan. But yeah, I do think that they have the personnel now to continue playing. I don't want to call it a bunker because that's kind of used derisively, but to, to play a pretty uh, stout defensive system and, and then say, OK, when we get the ball. We're not going to exactly play like New York Red Bulls who are just going to boot it forward and hope somebody can run onto it. But we're going to get the ball to Hani Mukhtar and he's going to have more support than he has in the past. So if it doesn't work out, I think you can put that on on the the structure of the attack rather than the personnel that's available. Let right. me uh, as a side question to that. And, and I think this is this is maybe in my mind the most important question of this of the season uh, from a roster perspective. What do you think? Randall Leal gives them this year mm. uh, because it, 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 when I'm looking at, at the, at the difference between 21 and 22, uh, you know, not having a productive Leal was, mm-hmm. it was in my mind, the difference between this team having a super high ceiling and kind of where they ended up. Uh, you know, he, if, because he has to, he has, he has provided a level of danger that that is really effective within Gary's system. And if if you're not going to have Sapong banging in, you know, 10 to 15 goals, you know, where they're going to come from, in my mind, Leal has to be that very dangerous piece that that takes that pressure off Hani. Yeah, I mean I would I would say his his and CJ's uh I don't want to say declines, but underachievement uh, a year ago, probably they don't get the same amount of press, but they probably they probably have the same level of impact on on the way Nashville season turned out. Um, you know, they all only had two goals last year. That's not that's not what you expect out of out of a guy with his talent. 
some of it is 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 just bad luck. Um, some of it is you need to get more out of him. I don't know that he's quite as much the uh, that that counterattacking speed up the flanks sort of sort of guy that you would like to see in this in the philosophy that I just talked about. But I think he can provide. I, honestly, I've, it's been weird to me that you haven't seen him used as essentially the backup to Hani. He has the most technical skill set. He can dribble guys the way that Hani can. Um, not probably not as well as Hani can, but he's the closest on the team probably, and he can distribute the ball pretty well. Has a shot from distance. I don't. I don't think he's going to be one of the guys who who turns this team into a killer on the counterattack. But I think he provides you something different in games that Nashville wants to possess the ball a bit more. He's a threat from outside that that keeps guys out of the box. It's just like a three point shooter in, in basketball. If you need to come out and step out to him, there's more space in the box for other guys to to you know clean up rebounds or to have their opportunities to to receive a cross or whatever it is. I think the threat of Layal is almost more important than than the actual production of Layal sometimes. And so therefore he kind of, you know, like like we were talking about with CJ, the underlying stuff says a little bit more about what he provides than the actual number number of goals he scored last year. You need to see more from Layal this year anyway. He's a guy who's who's uh, who was brought in as as a designated player. He's since kind of come off the DP books and is is now a, a targeted allocation money player, but um, you want to see more production from that guy, especially because he's a guy who seems so invested in Nashville, so invested in this club. I, you know, he's not somebody who you say, okay, a couple year player that that is is going to go play somewhere else. We don't care. He's somebody who is kind of foundational to this club, almost like Walker Zimmerman or Hani Mukhtar has been, and therefore, you want to see that that kind of loyalty to the club be rewarded in terms of what he's able to do on the field too. I think it's funny. The thing that first came to mind during Steve's question, and then you said it during the answer, which is his shot from distance. Because you're again, smart. The shot from distance was the very first thing I thought of. Cause like, I don't, mm-hmm. I'll, again, take honey off the table because honey's just the best at everything, but take honey off the table. Who is the guy standing just outside the box that is threatening on this team? And, and he's the guy like he's the, if you're going out wide and people are pressured and all of a sudden the defense loosens up, who's the guy that, that forces those, those players to step, right? Like it's, you're exactly right. Like, it's it, listen, I I feel good about myself because that means I was exactly right. <laughs> I knew exactly what Tim Sullivan was going to say, and I felt like I've analyzed Randall Lee all correctly. Um, no, I, I that this leads us right into and and I want to get to sort of the state of the roster here because it does feel like there's more flexibility up top. We're not going to go player for player because you guys did a great job on last week's episode. Make sure you go check that out. Uh, of course, brought to you by our wonderful and amazing friends at ML Rose Boys. They got burgers of the month. They got locally sourced beers. They got happy hours all the time. They got locations all across Nashville. What is not to love about ML Rose? Creative burgers of the month, Steve. Create they're creative. That's what I like about it. They're they're a burger connoisseur. Look, it it, it is a great place for a burger. I, I have to say the thing that I hit at ML Rose since they put it on the menu like last year, they put a Thai peanut chicken salad on 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 the uh on i was the, not expecting that on the menu <laughs> and it is it is a fantastic and b i mean i i hit ml rose a lot it, the, it it's not far from my house here the, the one in the one in melrose uh you know we do takeout from there a lot we've done a, we've done a lot of kind of like loaded <laughs> loaded waffle fries uh kind of nachos and and, and and that kind of stuff but the that that thai chicken salad is 
it harkens back to there's been a couple of them at different places around town over the years like that hits like such a sweet spot i was so happy when it came on and and it's and it's just a, it's just a staple it's a takeout staple for us tim it's it's funny cuz steve will not put any greenery on his burger just doesn't think <laughs> he does not think there's there's no place for pickles or lettuce on a burger which is to me sacrilege for as a burger expert but then he'll eat the thai peanut chicken salad expert. now i uh, yeah, I, I love the uh, I will go if I'm not going burger. I do love the spicy buffalo chicken wrap. That thing is delicious. The waffle fries are great. Again, I take the kids. They absolutely love it. They, they're they huge fans of the whole joint, they, especially the one on the on, on the west side where they got the little putting green out there and the fire pit and the kids go out there and we don't have to watch them. We can just like, <laughs> yeah, go play with fi- go play with fires, girls. It's, it's fine. <laughs> no, um, no, M.O. Rose, of course, proud sponsor. And, and frankly, one of the best places to watch soccer in town. Uh, whether it is MLS, whether it's club or country, um, you want to make sure you're checking out uh, MLS. Spent, so. spent some quality World Cup time there, and it was and it yeah. was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. Um, okay, so it seems like at least the top of the formation feels better than it's been uh, ever in in the four years of the roster building. Obviously, there's still a little bit of a question mark there at striker, um, which certainly will address whether or not Mike Jacobs needs to do something about that or not, but. Tim, in your opinion, this collection atop the formation is the most versatile, most dynamic, deepest, best group they've had in four years, in your opinion? Yeah, um, it, it on paper, it probably is. But on paper, you were expecting more out of Jean Dercatis. On paper, you were expecting more out of Ake Loba. The difference with this roster is you have guys who are proven entities in this league. Um, you know, you haven't upgraded at the striker position, but you've added proven guys like Fafa Pico on the wing. Um, we saw what Jacob Schaffelberg was able to do with his 11 games after joining Nashville SC last year. Clear upgrade on the wing. If you had a if you had a, a top-line striker, even if you had a not even quite a DP striker, but like a, a targeted allocation money level striker, that's you know the next roster designation below, you could probably look at this and say this is easily the best. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens striker-wise over the course of this season. If if Sapong comes back to form, if Teal Bunbury can can supplant him. Or if the club decides in the summer window that it's time to upgrade, if that Olivier happens, Giroux think... is just sitting out there waiting <laughs> to come to Nashville. Yeah, and it, it, Wes and I have talked about this perfect fit for what Nashville wants to do as well. Uh, I don't know if it's a perfect fit for how much Nashville wants to spend. Is is the issue with um, Olivier Giroud? But my, my wife agrees with all with both of you guys. Just. <laughs> um in in net of course uh joe willis is back he's he's there Mm -hmm. there is some depth behind him maybe a little bit we might see a little bit more um but basically this is kind of the same so i guess it's not really Mm -hmm. better or worse although he is every year goes by he does get a little older i guess yeah yeah joe willis is going to be joe willis he might he might have the slow decline um of as wes and i always say dudes who are like four and five years younger than us um being way too old for what they do <laughs> professionally but, but yeah his his numbers um you know have been pretty consistent in his three years so far and i would expect that to be the same and if they aren't elliot panico is right behind him ready to step up and, and play a bigger role tim uh, let me ask tim let me ask you this like the the way the roster is constructed right now mm-hmm. do, do you think that and i i thought you guys we're we're smart to kind of point it, point this out last week. It certainly looks like a four four two. You brought in Shaq Moore specifically. You, you're going to play a four four two. Are there are there any tweaks to the lineup that or, or tweaks to the formation that you think that uh, would get more out of this roster, uh, or do you think that Gary's Gary's penchant for putting kind of two central midfielders 
they're kind of occupying that space is going to drive so much of the conversation uh yeah, ar- yeah. Ar- around 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 how they line up the the latter is is definitely that i think gary smith is is going to play with a single holding midfielder uh over his dead body basically <laughs> um he has played at times with three true central midfielders which is obviously a little bit more defensive but he really likes that two in the middle whether you know whether that's a 4231 or a, a, a true 442 or even when he goes to to a back five back three there are still two central midfielders ahead of it yes there are probably ways that you can get a little bit more out of the attack by by playing a more attack minded midfielders and just the single holding midfielder I don't think it's realistic with, with this roster and, and with the coaching staff. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of it, it doesn't really matter <laughs> if there are other ways to do it because it's it's unlikely that you'll see it. But I do think the way that he wants them to play, he's the the roster is built for those guys. Obviously, Anibal Godoy and, and Dax McCarty came in as foundational pieces of the inaugural roster. And you're essentially seeing guys who have come in and Sean Davis, um, Brian Nunga came in as well those are guys who were built to be you know kind of the heirs apparent at those positions so it's 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 going to be a consistent philosophy going forward you know formationally yes there are tweaks you can do but i think you're always going to see um other than uh you know in in kind of small doses those two central midfielders well i was going to end with the midfield but that that's the area that i have the most questions about not because of the players and what they are i we kind of know exactly what they all are because we've seen mm-hmm. them literally forever um <laughs> but but Dax Godoy they've had some injuries he's getting up there in age Sean Davis is sort of the new Dax we know that Anunga's is a serviceable piece w- when you need him um but to me this is the the question where I, I wonder about depth I wonder about injuries I wonder about you know again if it's just about holding the back line there and helping out defensively they're great but like I don't this is this the, is this the right area to to have a question about? I mean, I know striker we've already talked about, but is this the area where if you're going, all right, what happens during the regular season if somebody gets hurt? D- mm-hmm. Do they do they have all the pieces they need to be successful there? Yeah, for for me it's so difficult because you can't have like infinite depth there because you can't bring in guys who who are content to not play, otherwise they will not be good enough to play. And yet you have a lot of money invested in Dax and Godoy. Um, so so those guys are going to play. Those guys are going to be on the roster. Essentially, you know, you need a full turnover of the position if you're going to truly get, you know, a a, a, a younger version of of Godoy to step up and, and be that guy. And, you know, we think Sean Davis is is the younger version of Dax. And I, I think that's pretty fair to say that that he's the heir apparent at that position. But there's it's it's a weird situation where there's a log jam of guys that you don't know that you can count on but right. they have to be your top two guys so it's it's a weird situation to try and um, Wes and I have talked about threading the needle of finding a guy who's good enough but doesn't demand a ton of playing time and it's it's just hard to find until until you kind of are willing to say Dax Godoy you guys are are right. backups at this stage of, of your careers and I don't think either of them is looking forward to that so do, as do you th- real quickly as good as the first three years or age has made some questions, created some questions. I think it's basically the same if, if, yeah. if Davis yeah. is the Davis that he has been in his entire career. Okay. Yeah. He was, he was impressive last year. Mm-hmm. I, I, he Con- does consistent he does so much work. He does. So, I, I, I looked at a couple of, I looked at a couple of heat maps of just kind of like coverage and, and, and intensity. And he just does, he does so much work. And, and I think that, you know, not, I mean, 
if Dax becomes like the super sub in in midfield, mm-hmm. um, you saw him come in, come in somewhat uh, in that situation in some of those situations last year. His passing is so sharp. Uh, it, it's interesting when he comes in in like the sixty fifth, seventieth minute, and all of a sudden they are all of a sudden there are uh, you know they're playing balls in that that you hadn't seen earlier. Uh, and, and you you saw him kind of kind of crashing down into you know crashing down into the top of the box. I, it, it is he going to be? He's thirty five. He kind of has to accept that transition. He's yeah. not. Mm-hmm. And you guys have said he's not going to play thirty games this year. But the, to me, it, it, it seems like you have you have Godoy and Davis, and then Dax spelling them right now. Mm-hmm. And then the question for me is. And and you guys have brought this up a lot is that whoever's behind them and Anunga is that person right now. Anunga is never going to get the minutes that he needs necessarily. I think to become the 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 kind of the starting kind of dominant like destroyer or whatever kind of like yeah. his his role is. But he's very valuable right now. I mean he he slots in. He knows the system. Uh, is is Brian Anunga long for this? team or is, is he going to be money balled at some point because he has value that you can and you can bring in somebody younger you can bring in somebody who who doesn't necessarily have to have those minutes yeah that's actually a really good question because he he does kind of fit that situation where nashville has developed him after buying him from the charleston battery and um the way he's developed is there a ceiling at nashville sc that is you know, more valuable to have like the money from a, a sale somewhere else. I think the, the characteristics that he brings are very precisely what Gary Smith uh, prefers in that position. Um, you know, unfortunately he's, he's probably just never going to be the type of offensive threat attacking threat that Dax and Godoy are. And you live with that, but yeah, that actually is a really good point, Steve. Of, of you know, if you have this logjam at the position, you have a guy that you can you can essentially profit off of what, how you've developed him over the past three years. Um, I don't think it happens anytime soon, but that is one that you look at and say, "Man, this guy is uh, you know twenty six years old. He's going to be twenty seven halfway through the season." You know, do you do you say, "Hey, we we can move this guy and and bring in somebody who can be the next you know, a little bit more well rounded version of?" what you have seen in, in Dax and Godoy, but you know, a few years younger. Right. Let me, let me ask, let me ask you this then too. While we're I thought, we, I thought about... we weren't going player for player. I know, we're not going player <laughs> for player, but, but, but it's, a, it's an important thematic question, Braden. Come on, man. <laughs> like, I mean, when I'm thinking here about central midfield and the, the name that, that comes up is, has been Eric Williamson. Uh, you know, you would have to, you would have to move somebody there. Yeah. Would, would, would you be willing to, would you be willing to move Godoy? Or would you be willing to move? Yeah, the, the issue is you have how, to move how, somebody. Davis, yeah. how is this, okay, how is this not all leading to Dax being the piece that eventually is phased out? Yeah. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, well, I love I think, the guy. But, but I love I mean, the guy. Dave, we all love the guy. We know what he brings to the table. But, like, the team being better involves less Dax eventually at some point. Yeah, and I, I think when they brought in Sean Davis, it was with the understanding that he was not just an understudy to Dax, but an eventual replacement to Dax. And I and when Nashville brought him in, uh, sources have indicated Dax was not, was not the happiest because he saw the writing on the wall. Um, but that's fair. You know, the reality is to bring in to bring in a piece that you want 
to give time to, you need to move somebody on. And it probably has to be one of the, one of the three guys that you're expecting to play the most. And whether that's a retirement for, for Dax or Godoy or, or, you know, if you, if you move, if you move Brian and Nunga, do you have enough time to give to somebody to be, Hey, you are, you know, Davis is Dax is number two. Right. Godoy's number two is going to be you. I'd be worried I, about depth. I'd be worried about depth at that point. That'd be my problem. Is, yeah. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe, not. maybe yeah. not. Because again, I I am not banking on Dax McCarty playing, you know, more than twenty five games, maybe twenty eight games mm-hmm. at at the best. Godoy's been hurt too. Like it's just you've got to. To me, it's just this is the concern I have is that if you move one of those guys, if you move if you move Anunga, mm-hmm. you then are are make you're forcing yourself three guys into two spots that better be there every day, and that's now. Yeah. And I know they're I know they're Iron Men. I know they're like I get all of that, but like. There's there's some I'm I'm trying to put my finger on a reference to Top Gun Mavericks and Stax's dad is a former Top Gun instructor <laughs> about how the old man comes in and insists and insists on doing it himself. Um, I don't think that's a spoiler. Is that a spoiler? I don't know. No, no, no. <laughs> but, it's, but it's been but out it's for like two. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been out for a billion dollar movie. It can't be it's been out on streaming, though, for at least like two months now. So yeah. as yeah. long as you can stream it, there's no spoilers. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, so, but, so basically, but I think Dax is Tom. Dax, Dax wants to wants to keep doing it. And is good enough to keep doing it. It's just how much you get out of him. And that's where the tension lies. So, all right. So, <laughs> it is what it is at this point, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I guess, so again, forward group, more dynamic, a little more versatile, maybe the best of the four years. Mm-hmm. Keeping's about goal, goalkeeping's about the same. Uh, central midfield, about the same. Midfield's about the same. The defense core here, um, I, 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 I love Alistair Johnston. So, it's hard for me to say that anything's going to be better than that lineup two years ago. Uh, or mm-hmm. I guess it's three the three years ago, um, but with with Lovitz, Zimmerman, Jack Mayer probably taking that spot at center back, and then Shaq Moore um, with some Taylor Washington, Alex Wheel mixed in in the back. Uh, you know, was, again, very similar. A lot of upside with this group, a lot of talent, a little bit more offensive uh, ability on the outside. I, is this better? Is this the best back line, or is this not as good as the one with Johnston? Um, yeah, I. I like Alistair Johnson a lot as a guy and he's a very good player and he developed a lot at, uh, at CF Montreal. I say the Montreal impact every time. So I might as well say it this time he <laughs> developed a lot at the Montreal impact. Um, but I, I think fans don't realize because they were such fans of his personality that he was only okay when he was with Nashville SC. Honestly, they were, they, they were not, you know, losing sleep over, over the trade that they executed for CF Montreal. They profited off of it. And, when you look at what Shaq Moore brings, um, it, it, he was a little rocky getting uh, involved in the Nashville lineup last year. It didn't quite go as smoothly as everyone expected. Now that he's got a year to be integrated with that first team lineup, I think he's going to be an upgrade over Johnston. The question is, is Mayer ready to replace yeah. what you got out of Dave Romney? And that's, that is, that is the million dollar question. Um, Nashville was, was willing to move Romney for money ball reasons. He was due a big raise, he got that with New England Revolution. Um, you got a player who's a year younger and, and um, had a, a better year last year in Nick DePew to be a backup as Mayer kind of steps up. It's a situation where I, yeah, I'm a huge Romney fan. You guys listen to every episode. You guys know how high I've always been on Romney. So I don't know that there's been an upgrade there. I do think that when you look at what Nashville was able to save monetarily. And I know fans hate to hear that. Um, to well, get, that, the, to, you well, could say it's the, an, you could say it's an upgrade depending on what happens with the money. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think they're going to get about the same level of performance and they're going to have a lot more money in their pocket 
right now. It's how they use that money. That's that's the million dollar question, or yeah, way more than a million dollars. It's like a it's like a six million dollars in allocation money question or something like that. But well, um, mayor's the number two if, overall. If the same pick. performance, and I think they will. Then then it's you know I guess it's worth it. It's also the toughest salary situation, cap situation in almost all of international soccer, no, yeah. right? Like a, of, of in terms of all the leagues. And and Mayer's a number two overall pick. It's time. It's time for, yeah. for him to step into that role. So it sounds like we're saying defense could be the best group. The forward group and the winger group and the top of the formation could be the best we've had in Nashville in the four years. Keeping's about the same and the midfield's about the same. So in theory, is this on paper the best roster going into the season that Gary Smith's ever had? Going into the season, yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, it, it depends on how you view like Jander Cotty's because uh, he there were very high expectations of him, and then I for, uh, unfortunately, I, 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 for, I, for, I forget that we've stepped into the uh, Jander Cotty's uh, fan uh, fan zone here. Listen, listen, he was he was a very productive <laughs> player, and then he went he he went on international duty with that, Venezuela because he that never thought it was Venezuela going to happen trip. again, and just and caught a a uh, respiratory illness that he never really recovered from while he was here and that ended his career so um or his Nashville career he's still playing in uh, Portugal but <laughs> um you know depending on how you view John Ricardis I think when you had a guy who was your DP striker at the time you could say maybe there were slight areas elsewhere on the field that 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 team wasn't quite as good as this year's team there's a clear one where this team it's probably the weakest and that's at the striker position. I guess the, the inaugural team had, had a little bit less, but the inaugural team, I think exceeded everyone's expectations by a wide margin. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, if, if you look at the amount of money that is left available, both allocation money and, and John Ingram money, which is effectively infinite in the in MLS in the MLS context, if they use that money in the summer and the expectation is that they do use that money in the summer, then you can see how this is the best roster that, that they've had yet. But right now it's still an open question because you don't know what you're going to get goal scoring wise other than Hani Mukhtar. You know, you're going to have more support for Hani Mukhtar, but you don't know if you're going to have the actual yeah. literal person to kick or head the ball into the back <laughs> of the net. Well, and on paper, Ake Lobo was like better than anything anybody's ever seen in a Nashville. SC yeah, Lobo. it's 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 That's insane to me. Paper. That, That's all. Paper. It's insane to me that it didn't work out because um, you know, sources had indicated to me a couple of years ago that he was that Nashville was trying to sign him. They didn't ultimately do it for a couple of years after they initially made contact. So I had watched uh, a lot of him. Um, I'm always uh, Monterey is also my Liga MX team. So I had watched a lot of him just from that context. It's insane to me that it didn't work out. I, um, language barrier, language, language barriers and um, him coming in and pretty bad shape because it was his off season and, and not really kind of taking the training seriously. But still, it's insane to me that it, he didn't overcome those things and, and become a star here. It is. I, it will never make sense to me. And, no. um, you know, I was I was very down on him after we actually saw him on the field because you could see that it was not going to work. But just the why the underlying why will just will never make sense to me. No, it's the it's the it's the one or two second flash of like, holy cow, that's insane. Yeah. And then like the other nine minutes of what? Huh? yeah <laughs> like that's a lot that's of turnovers in there that's how yeah that's how it was um all right so real quickly let's get to mike jacobs then the job he's done obviously he's the one constructing all these players and building these players mm -hmm. this roster the way we just talked about it um and you can kind of package ian air into this because the stadium's a big part of this and how this organization has been, has been built and in and, and, and sort of integrated into the community i think they've done a brilliant job i think there's some momentum they need to recapture because mm -hmm. of how they finished the season last year um, but when you look at it, you, you, you know, you kind of already alluded to it, the Alistair Johnston move, maybe not as 
Um, critical of that move is maybe people have been in the past. He goes out and gets Shaq more. The Loba trade is obviously a big one or acquisition is a big one. Um, and then of course there's whatever happens this summer. So we know these two are inextricably linked because he, he, he took Jacobs over to, to England to learn all this stuff. Uh, and, and he's sort of been the handpicked technical director, general manager. Now, what do we make of the, the state of the front office heading into year number four? Uh, long expose on Ian Air. If you haven't read it, go check it out. Sports Business Journal on he likes to build things and then move along. Uh, so what what are our thoughts on where this front office stands right now heading into year four? Yeah, I think I think Air is 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 seeing the project through, but the 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 underlying thesis of that SBJ article. And if you don't have a subscription to Sports Business Journal, you do get free two free articles a month, I think it is. So you can still go check it out. Um, I'll put a link in the in the story when I put this up on clubcountryusa.com. But um, from a front office perspective, it is about everything has been building the, the off-field aspects. And this is the year that's the put up or shut up year in terms of the front office's involvement in the on-field product. So the jury is still out in that regard. If if you see a team that finishes second or third in the East, is that good enough? That now that that's finally your sole focus for the team, we'll see. Um, obviously, uh, regular listeners are are not surprised at all that we're big Mike Jacobs fans on this podcast. But a big part of what Jacobs has done has been kind of that Moneyball philosophy of we will spend you know kind of middle of the pack in Major League Soccer and we'll finish above middle of the pack or we'll earlier spend very low and finish middle of the pack. Now it's, do you finally unlock a, a bit more of the potential by saying, okay, if we're, if we're the money ball people that we think we are, and we spend a little bit more, if we spend upper third of the league, do we have a chance to compete for MLS cup? Do we have a chance to compete for the league's cup against teams from MLS and Mexico? Do we have a chance to win us open cup? W- what is the ceiling on this team? And I think now fans want to say it's time to see what the ceiling is. It's no longer, okay, when we have the stadium, we'll, we'll be happy that we have the stadium. And then the following year, you know, we'll, we'll still be happy that we have the stadium. I I don't think that's the case. I think now is fans want to see the final product or they want to see kind of the final evolution of what the front office wants to do. And, you know, because of that, because that we haven't seen them say, okay, now it's all in on the on-field product. We don't really know what it's going to look like, but um, you know what we've seen with the goals over the first three years have been positive. So we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> if it, there's no reason to expect it doesn't work out, but there's no guarantee that it will. I, I think that that one of the things that struck me about that Sports Business Journal article was, I mean, it was it was a very air positive uh, piece, mm-hmm. and and rightfully so. I mean, Ian Air's mm-hmm. done a lot, uh, and and has done a, fa- and he's a changed, fantastic. He's changed. He's changed his hairstyles. Way more than <laughs> the, I realized. He had, a, he had like little pictures. He, oh my he, goodness! He changed all of the styles. <laughs> some some of that wasn't his fault. Some of that was just the time and frame and era that he was in. But those photos, man, whoa! <laughs> yeah. But the the thing that the thing that that I took out of that article was that John Ingram had a had a very specific sort of he knew what he wanted in a CEO and what he had to have that CEO had knew what he needed in a general manager and what he had to have. And there, the three of them are very much sort of in sync. Mm -hmm. And when, when I look at, you know, different front offices and ownerships around the league, that is not the case. I mean, 
Cincinnati was a tire fire for three <laughs> years. the first one that sprang to my mind. I was like, he's going to talk about Cincinnati. I know. Um, <laughs> well, well, and, and, and it, and Charlotte had to do a quick course correction last year because they got it so wrong at the, mm-hmm. at, at, at the beginning of it. Fortunately for them, I mean, they, so it looks like they, they, they quickly pulled out of it, but I mean, the Philadelphia union, for example, a great example of it, that, that is a model franchise now in terms of kind of like academy mm-hmm. development and kind of turnover of roster and, and, and style of play and kind of having this sort of unified vision, man, that was, that was a rough, yeah. rough watch for the first five to seven years that they mm-hmm. were in the league for them to be able to do that kind of out of the gate is, is one of the most impressive things. And I, and I cannot, and that, and that starts at ownership. And the the question is going to be, not necessarily kind of, you know, is Mike Jacobs going to go out and get a, get a DP striker or is going to be whatever else that there are questions at, at that range of salary and transfer fee that involve ownership and kind of what this ownership want to do. I don't think this ownership, you know, I don't think, uh, I don't think uh, Ingram and the Wilfs and whatever else are in this to spend with inner Miami and to spend with, LAFC and and some of these these clubs in MLS that have these these larger than life ambitions, you know, th- there was all this stuff floated about Inter Miami breaking the bank to cut to to bring Messi over here. You know, it, the the if you look at what Toronto and uh, LAFC and even the Galaxy have done with their salary caps, they're spending a lot more money for not necessarily. I mean, LAFC the results last year, but but not before that. I don't think we're never going to see sort of that level of spending, but they can, the, the level of sync that, that, that front office is in right now, I think is, is very good for Nashville and, 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 and lends itself in my mind to them being highly competitive uh, and maybe championship competitive at some point, uh, you know, down the road. So this is the, that leads, I think that to me, the takeaway from the whole piece was, they were all the right people at the exact right time mm-hmm. for what the franchise needed, as you just yeah. pointed as you just pointed out. And first of all, John John Ingram could like look in the cup holder of the of the limo that he's riding in and probably pull out enough money for a striker. So I'm not even like worried. Like let's not <laughs> let's not go crazy with like a, a bank account rounding error um, for for a striker. But my question is: is are they all the right same people to do the thing that Tim's talking about, which is you needed all this focus on all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You, needed, you needed to build a roster out of thin air. You needed to build a stadium out of thin air. You needed to do all this stuff. You needed an ownership group to step in real quickly with a lot of different commitments to MLS to even get the squad in the first place, right? Like you had to mm-hmm. have all these and they were perfectly in sync and it's been very successful. I agree with all of that. I, and maybe it's still the same right three people and strategy and ideas to take them to the next 10 year chunk of time. That That's my question is, are, are these three still the right three and again, Ingram's not going anywhere. Jay, we like Jacobs a ton. I think Ian Ayer's done a great job. This, the story, I left the story thinking, all right, these three were the right three at building this thing. Are they the right three at sustaining the whole thing? And and I, the answer could absolutely be yes. 
Yeah, and, and it can look like you have the right three, and then you don't as well. We saw that with Atlanta, where, where Darren Eels right. and Carlos Bocanegra looked like they were they were perfect picks for Arthur Blank. And in the time since, um, we've seen Eels leave because it was it was working out horribly. Uh, Bocanegra has had somebody hired over him, so it's a situation where, um, you know, even even that initial build can look really good and not turn out well. So there is plenty of credit deserved for the fact that Nashville's first three years have gone incredibly well, but um, it, it really depends on what, honestly, a, a big part of it depends on what Ian Eyre wants out of his life. I think he's extremely happy living in Franklin and and living the life that he lives right now. Um, and then is, is a money ball, you know, build on a, on a small ball budget, essentially general manager and Mike Jacobs. Sorry, Mike, I know you're going to be mad that I phrased it that way. You understand why I'm doing it. Um, but <laughs> is, is that sort of GM going to be the sort of guy that when you have a little bit more to spend, it works. Um, you know, a, a comparison that I, that I think makes a lot of sense is since Wes and I end up talking about college football every week is, is, is can a, a successful head coach from a mid-major go to a power conference program? The skill set is different. You're recruiting at a different level. You have a different mandate with what you are expected to perform on the field. Sometimes it works out really well. Sometimes you end up with a situation like Justin Fuente, where he was extremely successful at Memphis, was an absolute horrible fit for Virginia Tech didn't work out. It doesn't mean that he's not a good coach. Um, sorry to the Virginia Tech fans who are listening. I, I doubt there's very many of you, but it doesn't mean he's not Both a good coach. It's just, it, oh. was just, it was just a bad fit. Um, I don't think that you that there is a an on-field philosophy for which Mike Jacobs is, is a quote-unquote bad fit. Yeah. But is it the best fit if you want to be a team like LAFC? I don't think Ingram wants to spend to be LAFC. I think he would rather spend to be more like the union where they are investing in their academy and building their own players and occasionally spending on a, on a top foreign signing. And they've been really good for the past four or five years. Like Steve mentioned, they were horrible to start with. They didn't have that, that alignment uh, early, but they have since gotten it. And that's something that yeah. I think Nashville would, would much rather model themselves after that or after sporting Kansas city and kind of go for sustainable success. It really does raise a question of if there's a ceiling on that because sporting Kansas city has, has consistently been very good um, with occasional drops down. Yes, but they've never been elite. Um, the union has been even better, but that, that final hump of, of MLS cup. And yes, they were so close this year, but it is a situation where you, you are walking a fine line. If you don't want to be somebody that spends a lot, but the, the teams that spend a lot also it's, don't win a time. LA galaxy is, is pretty consistently awful now. So there are different ways to build a team. And I think what you have is an ownership group that wants to, to spend smart and win smart. And I think that for that reason, you have the right guys under him might not always be the case going yeah. forward, but for now it makes a ton of sense. Let's take a look at the, the MLS around. Then they move to the Eastern conference, but I will say one last note on this. If you're a Nashville predators fan and a Nashville SC fan, the first 18 years of the Nashville predators were exactly what you just described. They made the playoffs like 14 times. They were in the playoffs almost every year. They had a coach that liked to play defense, liked to play fundamentally sound hockey, didn't want to score a lot with a general manager who was playing on a smaller budget. And they made the playoffs all the time. But the Nashville Predators did not become Smashville until they went to the Cup because they were investing bigger with a different coach. Like, that, I'm just, uh, just throwing that out there. That was 17 years. <laughs> Or, or 20 almost 20 years of that before they got to that point um all right mls around them they're moving back to the eastern conference the schedule is fascinating to me because they'll play a bunch of teams that finish top of the table in the first uh five or six matches then they get four out of five at home 
in April against what were consi- what were very bad teams last year. Uh, I'm I'm curious, where's the Eastern Conference this year relative to last year? Does the bouncing back and forth? What are the advantages and the disadvantages of of bouncing back and forth? You have some knowledge, but not a lot of knowledge. You played some of these teams a couple times. You played not all of that. Like, what what are the advantages and disadvantages of another move? I love the the Eastern Conference because they're. Mm-hmm. I like to see the rivalries develop continually with with Atlanta and Charlotte and Cincinnati and Columbus and and all these and Orlando and Miami. But um, kind of work us through what you think of the Eastern Conference relative to. Western Conference last year and and maybe even the Eastern Conference last year. Yeah, I think the Eastern Conference has been consistently better than the Western Conference in Nashville's years in MLS so far, including last year. Um, I think in the Eastern Conference, you have uh, historically last year was not the case. You had one really bad team in Cincinnati and then a bunch of pretty good teams. And then you like three or four at the top that were really good in the West. You have like three Cincinnati caliber teams uh, for the most part. It, it, it rotates a little bit, but um, in 2021, it was all three Texas teams, which was very funny. Um, but there's there's less of a soft bottom in the East, and that's a big part of what makes it a little bit more difficult. Uh, I don't think the bouncing back and forth is going to affect Nashville that much. They've played all of, the, all of these teams. They've played in all of these venues. Um, it's something that they're used to. Um, the players have have come from various places. You know, you've got a bunch of guys who came from Red Bulls. They've played in all these stadiums. You've got a bunch of guys um, who have been in the Eastern Conference two years ago. Um, they understand what it's all about. Um, it is a slightly tougher conference, but you are traveling so much less. <laughs> the, the travel last year was absolutely insane, especially because they were starting with so much of it on the road. So I think it's a slight advantage, even if the if the caliber of opponent gets a little bit tougher. It's better for Nashville SC to not have to travel as much. Especially because um, some of the some of the teams that you aren't traveling to this year are are beyond just the distance travel. It's, it's hard to go to Vancouver. It is not an easy place to travel to, even if you're flying charter. It makes it difficult. So I think the the conference situation is is hopefully long term. It's hopefully they this is the last time we've seen bouncing back and forth. Um, knock on wood, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's going to work out for Nashville, and, and you can still have cross-conference rivalries with St. Louis FC or St. Louis yeah. City SC, I, I guess is, is what they're called. So, yeah, I, I think it, it plays to Nashville's advantage, and it's just a matter of can you still finish high on the table against tougher teams? Steve, where are you driving I, to, man? Where are you going? It, you know, I'm I'm not going to – the the trip that I want to take, and I might not drive, uh, they play at Toronto in June, and it's like it's like – just starting to be warm up there. It's a <laughs> it's a great stadium out on the lake. I, I think there's a casino. I, I know, uh, <laughs> not a small consideration. Uh, there is that that Toronto team in my mind should be really good this year. Uh, will they be? Uh, I mean, they, they they there were signs of it last year, but they, they've spent a lot of money. There's a lot of talent. They didn't bring Bob Bob Bradley in to miss the playoffs. I, I, I think you know. Am, am I am I repeating LAFC lines from five years ago? Yes, <laughs> uh, but but the that team should be really interesting. I, I want to go to Toronto. I want to. I want to. I want to see a game in that stadium. Um, you know, other than that, I like. Everybody says, "Hey, let's go to Charlotte." I have no desire to go to to go to that NFL <laughs> stadium and 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 see a you know see a game against Charlotte. I went to, listen. I went to their first game, their first home game, and it was actually really cool. It was not. It was I was there for work. 
Um, it was not something that I like plan to do, but it's it's a worthwhile visit to be honest. Yeah, I mean it's I mean it's a, a it's a loud, boisterous uh, yeah. fan base, and and they were really excited last year, and and good for them, happy for them, whatever. Screw them now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to do that, I'd rather go to it. I'd rather go to Atlanta. Atlanta for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and if if you're a Nashville SC fan and you haven't made the trip to Atlanta yet. You definitely should go down. Go, you know, good. You should definitely plan on going down with, uh, with the team. I, I forget what the dates are this year, but, 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 and and see them play because that is that's a really fun experience. The Atlanta fans who came up here last year, yeah, uh, were were a lot of fun. So it, it definitely, definitely look at those on your calendar. It, it was very hard to get the, the tech teach the six-year-old about the teams we were, we were what we were watching last year at, at Geodis. it just it just was it was just it was just harder as a person that doesn't is not as familiar with them I, I came up in Eastern Conference MLS with Nashville SC this is going to be way more familiar and way more e- way easier to to talk about rivalries and history and and sort of how the the clubs all work together um here's a here's a question considering the new uh broadcast situation how, how are people going to watch these games at uh out at restaurants like for example ml rose if you wanted a great burger you go to ml rose i'm just curious like across the country not just in nashville but like what are you just going to buy like apple sticks and plug them into your tv at the bar like i don't i don't think mls has thought about this uh fully yeah i've, I've had to do that in the past so um you know sh- shout out to the local bars that will let you plug a a streaming device into their televisions um i think ml rose is is going to uh not force fans to have to do that they will they will come up with a solution with the apple tv um package themselves but it, it is going to be tough i it is definitely something that mls considered when they made this tv deal and they just kind of decided that's not going to be as important to us as some other considerations uh it's one of the one of the things that i i don't want to say that they are uh that they were not considering because i know they were considering it but what, what, I don't think they, I don't think they realize how significant that's going to be. What a sport hit on is there. the what sport? Yeah. I mean, in the Sports Business Journal story, it's all about Ian Air going to a Liverpool bar to watch the game. There's no sport in American culture yeah. that is more at the pub related than MLS. Even like the, the college football is not like that. I, I don't. I don't know. I just just something to think about with Apple TV coming. And as a season ticket holder, I get it for free, so I'm good. <laughs> i mean i i i think that i think long term that broadcast deal is good for the league yeah um there will be growing pains though there will be there will be growing pains and 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 that's why uh the, I, I think there's the potential for kind of like some side local broadcast like simulcast deals mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know i don't know what the specifics of those are some of them have not been ironed out and there's certainly not one in this market right now yeah, the, I there will not there will not be um, over the air other than the national broadcasts unless something changes with the deal. But there are there are a half dozen um, national broadcasts that I, that involve Nashville SC. I it's, I didn't put it in my in my initial story, and I pulled up the wrong one, I guess. But hey, <laughs> when I'm trying to look at it here, but if it's, if if, if one sixth or one fifth of your season is on a national broadcast, I think you're doing pretty well. So yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, MLS is essentially saying, hey the the two or three games a weekend that are on national tv are going to have to keep fans in the door and then we'll hope that they go home and and turn on their apple tvs and say i don't want to watch for all mankind i want to watch uh for (laughs) new york red bulls and and sporting kansas city on a wednesday night and and i've seen and there's been some chatter about this uh among 
folks like Taylor Twelman was pretty kind of outspoken about this, about saying, okay, with Apple now, you can finally build like a game day experience uh, mm-hmm. and and a and a level of commitment to the league that you'd never had in other places. Um, mm-hmm. where you were always fighting for you were always fighting for time, you were always fighting for editorial resources, you were always fighting for production resources. That the this is at, this is one place that everything will be devoted to the league. And it'll be interesting to see kind of like what kinds of of non uh of non uh live game telecasts they develop along with this in terms of kind of what is the studio presentation going to be, what is the uh, you know what is like something midweek that they that they show, uh, or or that they put up that that's that's available to watch. I, I, I that that to me is that to me is really really interesting and in and that there it will be the most MLS centric uh, uh, of any product of any broadcast deal that they've had before simply mm-hmm. because you know Apple want, Apple is using them as a guinea pig. Well, yeah, and I, also, I, I mean, it's, it's a big thing is yes, they're being used as a guinea pig, and it's it's going to be a very MLS centric product. They have decided that let's let's have our own thing and have it be very high production value. That is more important to us than getting people in the door right now. And um, you know, you'll have to see long term how it works out. I think based on their um, you know uh, metrics over the years of word of mouth being far more important than anything else, they think it will pay off, but it's not a guarantee. So um, I, I'm excited to see some of the MLS produced content, but it, it does mean that it's going to be harder to bring it up with, you know, when I'm picking up my my kid at school, uh, who who is going to be, you know, willing to discuss it with me because they don't yeah. have the MLS package on on their Apple TV. It's going to be a little bit tougher to, to make it, you know, the talk of the water cooler, too. I, but I do think the same way that quality has allowed the athletic to do what they're doing, subscription based media and you know patreon substack all these things where you're you're delivering extreme high quality to people that care deeply about it mm-hmm. i i don't think that's the wrong strategy necessarily i think it like you said growing pains but eventually i think it's the right way to go cuz you're going to put it all in one place and everybody knows mm-hmm. exactly where they can go and it's going to look really good and i think that is uh, i think the user experience is going to be really really high and while it may not include all your buddies at the carpool line uh, it's, I think it, it will serve what you want as an MLS fan. And I think it's going to serve you very, very well. I think that's why well, uh, what I want as an MLS content producer is for more customers to be looking <laughs> through my door too, man. So. Well, that's why you go to clubcountryusa.com. That's where you go. And that <laughs> well, and, is and, free, and, baby. And, and the thing about that deal is too, is it was, it was definitely the biggest ticket deal that was on the table for MLS by a huge margin, by a huge margin. Yeah. That means money to clubs. Uh, and it, and if that means more money on the field, then that is uh, that is I think a a a, a strategic uh, that is a strategic move that's worth making. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and consistency consistency of television um, presentation too, in terms of what the, what the colors look like. Because if you turn on like a Houston Dynamo mid afternoon game in the middle of the summer, it looks terrible. <laughs> like they're going to be able to say, okay, here are our standards for for white balance on cameras. Things that simple that have been so inconsistent across the league and have really turned off fans who are used to watching, you know, their Saturday morning Bundesliga or Premier League because it looks just looks spectacular on TV. They're going to see, you know, bright 
brighter greens and stuff this year. And that's going to be something that I think that they are hoping that they can win over more of the European soccer fan just by the TV product looking better. Because if you look at the, the product on the field, if you watch the players playing, unless you know, it doesn't really look meaningfully different in terms of, of quality because yeah. a guy who kicks the ball 90 miles an hour against a guy who kicks the ball 80 miles an hour against slightly worse opponents, it's going to look basically the same. Um, and you can't really get a, a feel for how fast these guys are moving or whatever. It doesn't well, really look all that different once the production values are really high. Steve, Steve, and, Jobs, and, Steve Jobs, famous for his lack of attention to detail <laughs> on visual aesthetics uh, that Tim Cook, mm -hmm. of course, has taken over. So, Well, and, and I think you, what you're going to see, too, is without, you know, MLS relied on uh, on different broadcast networks, whether it was ESPN, ABC, you know, Fox or whatever else to kind of broaden their scope of the uh, broaden, broaden their reach of the product. What you're probably going to see is more push into social channels and more mm -hmm. push into sort of like alternative delivery, delivery for like clips and highlights and, and, and sort of different sorts of things uh, to, to find those fans that are out there that they weren't necessarily picking up from somebody who kind of happened to flip on like the, you know, the, the, two, the 2 PM game on ABC. Two mm -hmm. quick things to, cause we're running long here and we'll let you guys go, go to ML Rose. Great place to, to take the family. You need a business meeting. Great. Take great place for a business meeting after hours for a cocktail, for a beverage, for a beer. Great place for that. You want to watch the game. Great place for that. Uh, great place for anything. ML Rose, great watering hole in the neighborhood here across uh, all, all the different neighborhoods here in Nashville. So make sure you go support local business, of course, owned and operated here in Nashville uh, by a local company there. Um, two things to quickly think about as it pertains to that. Um, the stupid show on Fox uh, that involves Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless, uh, they get more. They have more Twitter followers than they do viewers of their television show. Just want to let people know about that. And number two. The NBA, nobody watches full games, but they watch a lot of clips and a lot of highlights, and that brings people into the product in the summer and when, when they get to the summertime in the playoffs. So there's there's a lot of different ways you can soccer, you can maximize those three or four or five brilliant moments in a game that can be maximized in a really big way to draw a big audience and then sell to advertisers and lure people into the package. So and you can and you can push it to the the phone that 55% of people in this country use uh, and you can push it to them without, without their permission because that, it's part of the native Apple that I was going to say that also happens to be the company. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. it, it, you yeah. look at, look at places like, like house of highlights, for example. I mean, house yeah. of highlights yeah. is, is a, is an Instagram feed with 39 million followers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what's, what's more important here in, in terms of sort of reach is it, is is it reaching you know the the two to three hundred thousand that might tune in for a typical Saturday afternoon game, or is it like kind of developing a strategy to get into the phones and feeds of of all of those types of people? I, I think yep. that with with the self contained with the self contained deal, you're going to see some aggressive yep. uh, pushes into other spaces. 39 million people not watching the Pistons and the Cavs on a Tuesday night. It's just definitely not, definitely not. W happening. What is wrong with those 39 million people? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tim Sullivan, where can people find you and all your great and amazing spectacular work? Yeah. Find me at clubcountryusa.com or if you're looking on social channels, uh, primarily Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's at clubcountryusa. Uh, there you will find the original and, and longest lasting uh, coverage of Nashville SC online. There you have it. Steve Cavendish, where can people find you? They can Sorry. find me 
They can find me at Scavendish. Uh, sign up for the at the Nashville banner, uh, NashvilleBanner.com. If you want, uh, while we're still in kind of soft launch, uh, we have a couple of like really good stories coming up. Uh, I'll just kind of leave it at that. Uh, they're not soccer related stories; they are news stories. Uh, so if you want, uh, if you want quality news, um, go give us your email address, and we'll land in your inbox. You can find me on Saturdays at ML Rose with my children and my wife eating burgers and fries every single stinking weekend. And I am not kidding about that. Uh, go to MO Rose, everybody. Get to me on Twitter, at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports as well. We are less than a month from the start of the fourth season of MLS Soccer in Nashville. Pretty cool stuff for Tim and Steve. Thanks for hanging out. Wes is back next week. My name is Braden Gall. Thanks for listening. This has been the Club & Country Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network.